Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Jason Pash, a member of Madison Teachers, Inc. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hello, I'm Anna Ham, a proud member of the Labor Radio News Collective because I have a nose for news and I like to pick it. This week we get the latest on negotiations at Collectivo Coffee and CUNA Mutual, learn more about ongoing strike action at CASE, hear from the Dane County NAACP on their support for UW nurses, discuss the primary election results, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining member of WORT and Labor Radio. Collectivo coffee workers are still fighting for that first contract. Yesterday, organized labor came to Madison to help. Greg Jabowski reports. Almost a year ago, the coffee shop Collectivo Coffee, headquartered in Milwaukee, and with locations in Milwaukee, Chicago, and Madison, voted to join the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the IBEW. But contract negotiations have only just started. Yesterday morning, a group of labor supporters handed out flyers to both customers and workers at the three collectivo locations in Madison, on State Street, in Capitol Square, and on Monroe Street. Workers were given a number they could contact, and customers were told that they could sign a petition to Colectivo Management expressing favor with the start of contract negotiations and, quote, looking forward to a great first contract, unquote. Alex Brower, executive director of the Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans, or WIRA, had come to Madison after two days of leafleting in Milwaukee and described how things were continuing in Madison. So today the Wisconsin Alliance, in partnership with the South Central Federation and a bunch of other groups and unions, is out here talking to Collectivo coffee shop customers and workers, making people aware of the efforts to win a union contract at the stores. Brower gave some background to the union drive. During the pandemic, the workers at Collectivo decided to start organizing, and they chose the IBEW to organize with local 494 here in Wisconsin and a local in Chicago. The beginning of 2021, they filed for an election, and an election was held over the summer of 2021. It was actually tied, and then there were some disputed ballots, and then the workers won that election, and then the company has now agreed, thankfully, to begin negotiations. Matthew? A UW undergraduate majoring in political science was drinking a coffee outside of the State Street Collectivo when he was handed a flyer. Did you know that Collectivo was unionized, that they'd won a union election? I did not know anything about that, no. It's, uh, learned about a little bit in class, about the history of unions, all that stuff, my American history course. Yeah, I definitely think there's a right to do it. I would be interested to see someone, like a counter, someone to what I was just told. Because I always try and see, because there's definitely a significant effort to push back against unions as well, and I want to know like why. Because to me, it seems like an obvious thing to have a union, but you know, there's always two sides to a story. But yeah, I definitely like what he's doing. I appreciate it. Gary Mitchell is the president of Wira and a retired member of Ask Me Local 2412. He explained why he was out yesterday. 
We're out here to support workers for Selectivo Coffee. They had a long struggle, including a disputed election that they won, and now they're trying to get a first contract. Uh, they have three stores here in Madison. It's all about solidarity, as, as far as I can see. We are all stronger together when we're all together. Brower describes some steps supporters of organized labor can take for Colectivo workers. For your listeners, there's ways you can take action. You can find the Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans on Facebook. The IBW Local 494 is also on Facebook, so you can like and follow those pages. The Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans has on its website a link to this petition. So folks can go to wisconsin.retiredamericans.org and check out our petition there. When you go to a Collectivo store, and please do patronize Collectivo, we are not asking for anybody to not shop there, we want to do a buy-in at Collectivo. We're asking people to go in and order your coffee, IBEW Strong. For those of your listeners who are on social media, you can take a photo of that cup, do a selfie with the cup of coffee that you just ordered that says IBW Strong, and tag IBW494 in it, hashtag Union Strong, hashtag IBW Strong, and those are some actions that a listener on their own can take. Let the worker know when you're ordering your drink, let them know that you support their efforts to start a union. That was Alex Brower of the Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans. Collectivo Management in Milwaukee was contacted for comment for the story but did not respond. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. Have negotiations hit a wall between Office and Professional Employees Union Local 39 and CUNA Mutual? Frank Emspach has the story. The Office and Professional Workers Union Local 39 has been in negotiations for a new contract with the CUNA Mutual since March. CUNA Mutual is a financial services organization serving credit unions, among other customers. There are approximately 450 union members of CUNA Mutual, down from almost 1,200 a decade ago. Labor Radio is speaking with Joe Vica, chief shop steward of OPIU Local 39, for the CUNA members. What is the current status of negotiations with CUNA? We have been negotiating with CUNA Mutual for a, a fair contract now for the last uh, more than six months at this point. We are still very closely negotiating around all five of our major priorities. So that includes wages, health benefits, pension, job security, as well as remote work flexibility. On most of those issues, we still feel like the company is very far away from us, given the fact that they made more than $600 million in record profits last year. The union is focusing on organizing the membership. What has the local and the membership done to clearly articulate their needs to CUNA management? Yeah, we have done a lot this contract negotiation to demonstrate to our company just how important our priorities are. We've done everything from posting three different informational tickets outside of their brand new building on Mineral Point Road to having more than 75% of our members sign on to a letter to our CEO asking for a fair contract during negotiations. We've had hundreds of members change their profile pictures to the union logo on their work Microsoft Outlook link. And we continue to have members participate very regularly in town hall discussions to stay updated and engaged in the bargaining process. So far, CUNA has not put a comprehensive offer on the table. What are the union's next steps? Our next step this coming week on Tuesday, August 16th, 
We all actually plan on coming into the office, which may sound a little contradictory, but 95% of us continue to work remotely through the pandemic. So one of the ways that we're going to demonstrate our support for the proposals we're putting forward is by having members come into the office on Tuesday and work collectively together. And then during our lunch period, we plan to demonstrate outside of the 5810 building. And that day happens to be the day of our board of directors quarterly meeting. And the board of directors is the major stakeholder for the company in terms of negotiations. So we want to make it very clear to them that we still, after six months, remain united for the things that we deserve in our contract. Do you have anything else you wish to add? The only other thing I would add is for anyone who happens to be available on Tuesday the 16th during the lunch period, we do plan on being out visible to the public on the sidewalk on 5810 uh, Mineral Point Road between about 11.30 and 1 o'clock. So if you want to come to show support to workers who are fighting cuts to their our health care, who are fighting the freezing of our pension plan and for job security for our members, please consider showing up on Tuesday of next week. That was Joe Avicom, Chief Shop Steward from OPIU Local 39, representing workers at CUNA Mutual. I'm Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Madison Chief Elections Inspector for Ward 42, Blaise Bassand, answers questions about election observers and poll workers. Why do people observe during elections? I think that there's a lot of variety of reasons. Some are doing it because they're inherently distrustful of the system and they want to see what's happening and they, they think they're going to catch us at something. I'm pleased to say, of course, they never have because there really is nothing to catch. There is some that want to make sure that we're doing our utmost to help voters get registered and, and be able to vote. And I think some of them are trying to figure out ways that they can help to get out the word and get out the vote. And so they want to know more about the process so they can be as helpful as possible when engaging with the community. It's good to have observers. I think the more people that see the process and see the complexities of it and the checks and counter checks, the better. The transparency is obviously the best of all. Are there rules about observing? There are. We actually hand them a little pamphlet on what those rules are. They are not actually allowed to talk to voters unless the voter talks to them first. They're not meant to interact or interfere with the poll workers' work. They're meant to either talk directly to the chief of the ward or whomever the chief decides should be the contact person. And we have areas that are usually taped off on the floor, or at least um, they're dedicated areas that we feel observers can stay within that area, be close enough to hear what's happening, see what's happening, but not actually see the voters' personal information as is presented, say, at the registration table or on absentee ballots. And so they stay within those areas and they can move between those areas, but they can't just roam freely in the, in the ward. Do people need to get training to be observers? I wish they did. In many occasions, we end up being the trainers because they have so many questions about how the very basics of an election work. The thing that a lot of observers don't realize, and a lot of people, of course, is that 
there is a built-in checks and balances with absentee voting in that you can't vote in person and also vote absentee. Both are recorded in the same poll book. So if your absentee ballot has come in and you show up in person, we're not going to let you vote. Or vice versa, if you've already voted and then we present the absentee ballot to the poll book table, they're not going to count the ballot. So one way or the other, you only get one vote. If somebody wants to be an observer, what do they do? Depending on the organization or if they're there by themselves, they don't have to be with an organization. They can be an independent person. They need to come in, they check in with the chief at the polling place. They sign in, they have to produce a photo ID. They have to agree to the terms and, and rules of being an observer. And then they have to behave according to those rules. And then they're welcome. Can anyone be an observer? Yes. I don't believe there are any restrictions whatsoever. Who works the polls usually? Um, a, a wide variety of people. We get a lot of retired people because they have the time and the interest. We get a lot of employers um, will pay their workers if they work at the polls. That's really nice to see. So the clerk's office in those cases often doesn't pay them at all. Their employers just pay them the regular salary, which I'm sure is probably more than the clerk's office is prepared to pay. Uh, and so we've got a lot of younger people in. Um, so it's not just election wonks. It's people who just have a general interest. And also, since it's at the neighborhood level, some people just like the sociability of it because they're seeing their neighbors, they get a chance to catch up with people. How can people find out more information about working at the polls if they have interest? Myvote.wi.gov has a section just on that. And you can fill out a form there, send it, it'll be automatically transferred to the clerk's department for your area. For pretty much everything having to do with voting in Wisconsin, MyVote is a wonderful website. That was Blaise Besant. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. The UW Hospital and Clinics Authority Board denied a request from the NAACP to meet with them. Frank Emspach reports. The NAACP of Dane County is concerned about the rights of all citizens. Therefore, it has been supportive of efforts by the UW nurses to achieve collective bargaining. On May 5th of 2022, Leaders of the NAACP met with the governor's chief legal counsel to express those views. On June 22nd, the NAACP asked to meet with the University of Wisconsin Hospital and Clinics Board to discuss their concerns. Labor Radio spoke with Greg Jones, president of the Dane County NAACP. Greg Jones, why did the NAACP request to meet with the hospital board? The request to meet with the UW Hospital and clinics board was simply made because we had learned of experiences that the nurses were having seeking collective bargaining rights and options and opportunities with the UW hospital board as an employer. Specifically, we requested to meet with that board to share the NAACP's perspective on our long-term legacy in support of unionization for all individuals leading to a better life for those individuals, their right to collectively bargain. And most importantly for this group, it was important to express support for our first responders in the COVID environment. The NAACP has been a long-standing supporter of collective bargaining and union from top to bottom, meaning from our national board to our local branches. And two, most importantly for this group of individuals, who express who have worked through the COVID environment, providing services, direct services, supportive services to families in this community. It was important to recognize them and to create a work environment where they can flourish and feel very respected on the jobs. 
What was the response of the UW board to the NAACP's request? The response from the board came about three weeks after the written request went in. The response basically said that there had been meetings with the nurses over the last couple of years, that they have had several opportunities to address this issue, and that we could submit uh, written information to the board. And the ba basically, they were denying our request to meet with the board to share that extensive background of support that we wanted to present to them as a body. Their response, in my opinion, was a, was a statement of saying, we will not meet with you, we shall not meet with you. That is the response that we received from the UW Hospital Clinics Board. What might be the next steps of the NAACP of Dane County? Our next steps are going to be twofold. Number one, we're going to continue to support the nurses in their pursuit of collecting bargaining with that employer, the hospital and clinics board. And the next step is that the NAACP as a body continue to engage in information sharing. We'll be looking for ways to continue to get the message and meaning of this branch support for those nurses. Jones emphasized the goal of the NAACP. Our major goal in continuing the, to support the nurses in their request and reach for collective bargaining is this, that of all of the groups in Dane County who deserve to have their voices heard, to have a seat at the table that develops and produce those options and opportunities for working conditions, it is nurses. If nurses are perceived, as I do, a leading entity to, to fight for health regarding the disparities among racial ethnic groups in our community, they have to be recognized to do that. President Jones also expanded on the role of the NAACP. So we'll continue this fight because it's really more than just collective bargaining. If the nurses are seen as a conduit to bring fair, equitable health care to all individuals, they need to know that the community supports them in their efforts to make their working conditions as favorable uh, as can be in the year 2022, especially at an institution that has world-class status as UW-Madison. That was Greg Jones, president of the NAACP of Dane County. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. The American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, or AFSCME, endorsed candidates in a number of races in the primary election held on Tuesday. Labor Radio reporter Ellen Laluzerne discussed the outcome of the primary vote and the next steps for the fall election with Dane County's AFSCME People Secretary, Derek Wallace. The primary elections were held Tuesday of this week, and I know that AFSCME made many recommendations with regard to candidates that support working people. Can you describe the outcome of the recent election? On Tuesday night, we did elect quite a few, as we call them, labor champions. We had endorsed in a couple statewide races where there were competitive primaries. Mandela Barnes for U.S. Senate, so he did quite well, as well as Sarah Rodriguez for Lieutenant Governor. So we were pleased to see that. We also think that the Assembly District races are very important. We had quite a few contested races in Dane County as well for Assembly District seats. 
Specifically, we endorsed in three of those races, and two of those candidates made it through to the general election. So we were certainly pleased with the majority of those results. Were there any surprises? Wherever we were able to go out there and do the work and talk with union members, I think that's where we saw our results. When you are making those recommendations for working people, what are some of the topics that you usually cover? Collective bargaining. If you look at polling and you just talk about what collective bargaining is and the fact that people come together to talk about their wages and safe working conditions, that's something people can appreciate. We look for candidates who strongly support those ideals and who have also had a track record of holding up those ideals in previous public service opportunities. What will AFSCME people be doing with regard to the November elections? One thing that we have been doing, sitting down with each individual candidate to advise them of what issues are important to working people. Having those conversations are a key part of our process now. We will be doing that work and questionnaires and and interviews. And after that, it's going to be getting out the vote. What is the importance of this election? You could argue that democracy itself is on this election. So it's not just workplace democracy, but democracy itself. And if you know if you don't have a functioning democracy in government, then it's hard to have a model for workplace democracy. Do you have any closing comments? I would just encourage every union leader and, and member to get involved their union's endorsement processes and making sure their opinions are heard is also making sure that we're getting out there all together and supporting our candidates who will work for us. That was Derek Wallace, who is the secretary for Dane County AFSCME People. I'm Ellen Lalazern for Labor Radio. Workers at CASE have been on strike for almost four months. Frank Emspack has the story. UAW Local 180 struck the case company in May. They've been on strike since. The main issues are wages, working conditions, especially excessive overtime. Wages in particular are an issue as workers at case are paid almost $5 per hour less than non-union workers at other case locations. The union members knew that when they went on strike, that case intended to starve them out. For example, one strike at case lasted six months. Yassine Mahdi is president of UAW Local 180. President Mahdi, is the strike still in progress? Yes, it is. What are your expectations as far as negotiations with CASE are concerned? My expectations are for CNH to to get a fair agreement. I mean, it, it's not it's not rocket science. They pay in the non-union places more money than us. What I'm expecting from CNH is to pay a wage that is commensurate with the area, and I'm also expecting them to either allow us to maintain our current health care benefit or improve it. As far as the non-economic issues, I'm expecting them to use some common sense and logic with resolving them. Negotiations are scheduled for next week. President Mahdi, do you have any expectations regarding their outcome? No, they'd be very transparent with you. I'm not optimistic. However, I hope that I'm wrong about not being optimistic. You know, hopefully... You know, the company will use 
common sense and logic with negotiating that agreement. What is the uh, union doing to increase the pressure on the company? There will be a writing campaign to dealers encouraging them to not accept product made by scabs. So that that's definitely one of the one of the key issues that I think will put pressure on them. If dealers start putting pressure on the company to say, hey, look, I remember what happened and I want nothing to do with this one. You know, maybe that will change their tune, you know, because. What can our listeners do to support the strike? They, they can they can they can write the CEO, they can they can write the, the corporation, they can they can send any uh, monetary donations to the local. They can they want to drop off food. Case will have an exhibit at the state fair in Milwaukee. President Mahdi added this request. I would like the listeners and anybody that attends State Fair Park to really put the pressure on the company if they decide to attend State Fair. Park in, in, in Milwaukee. Um, Thank you very much. That was Yassine Mahdi, president of UAW Local 180, on strike now against the case company in Racine, Wisconsin. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio's Ellen LaLuzerne brings this announcement about the celebration of life for union activist Steve Mazar. Join the Madison labor community in honoring Steve Mazar. Mazar was a key union activist who passed away in April, just two weeks shy of his 78th birthday. A celebration of his life is set for next Thursday, August 18th from 5 to 8 p.m. in room 201 at the Madison Labor Temple, 1602 South Park Street. Mazar held several positions in his local union, including the presidency, and was the chair of the South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFFLE's, Education Committee for 30 years. Under his leadership, the SCUFFLE Education Committee was known for his innovative Labor with a Bite program, featuring presentations and discussions on labor history and other topics of interest to working people. The committee also regularly sponsored school for workers trainings and other special events. SCUFFLE was honored by the National AFL-CIA as one of only 14 union cities in 2001, and its education programs were featured. Mazar, who was a National Merit Scholar at Michigan State University, was an archivist at UW-Madison. He was also active in his professional career. He was a founder of the Midwest Archives Conference and attended annual meetings of the National Society of American Archivists. Steve was known for his quick wit and his inquisitive mind. Thank you for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Anna Ham. Thank you to editors Frank Emspeck and Ellen LaLuzerne, assistant Robin G, reporters Mike Bernhard, Greg Jabowski, Sean Hagerup, me for some reason, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Wydell, and damage control, control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Jason Pash. We'd also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Professor Bill Clark. <laughs>